God of War has a history of violence, gore, and chaos. So when Santa Monica Studios completely redefined the series in 2018, everyone was floored. Kratos turned from the furious god killer to a father trying to raise his son and avoid his past. This was one of the biggest changes that a game series has ever undergone, and its immense success meant that fans have been clamoring for a sequel ever since. Now, four years later, Ragnarok is here. Does this sequel live up to its tremendous predecessor, or does it simply fall into its former self's shadow? I'm Jordan, and here to help me discuss all things God of War are my brothers. I'm Jason. And I'm Jackson. And now, let's get into it. Y'all, the fact that we're about to have the type of conversation we're about to have about God of War still just feels so insane, knowing what this series was. Like, I know a lot of games that have changed over the years, but can y'all think of any that have gone through something this drastic? Nah. Yeah, no, not really. Like, it's it's bonkers that this is even in the same series as the first three God of War games. How brutal and violent and just over-the-top everything was. From, from literally, like, five minutes into God of War 1, all the way through the very end of God of War 3, it was just absurd. And then in 2018, we get this just like stern and serious and but somber and intimate game that was just like no one was ready for that <laughs> the fact that a god of war game you know speaking of 2018 specifically is one of my favorite games of all time is still confusing even after playing two of them that are part of this series if you would have told me in 2018 right before god of war 2018 came out I would have said, shut up, I'm too busy playing Destiny 2. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And you would never say something like that these days. Never. Oh, that's kind of a funny take from you. Someone that has never played any of the older God of War games. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, I don't believe that the God of War games could ever be good. No, no I've never I have no seen frame of one before. Yeah. I know it's got that guy from PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. I think that was the first ever thing with Kratos I ever played. Because <laughs> I never played them myself. I never watched you guys play them. I, I went into God of War 1-2 uh, thinking, Alright, so I know this dude did a bunch of terrible stuff. What's he doing now? I think that the context is kind of crazy for God of War 2018. That's kind of something that really gets on my nerves. Is I see a lot of people try to call God of War 2018 a reboot. And it's definitely not that. Literally in like the first five minutes of the game, it lets you know it is not a reboot. Exactly. It's kind of, it's not entirely dissimilar to like Blade Runner 2049 to the original Blade Runner, um, where like the main character is still in it and he's very he's different. far different though. <laughs> but like he's different in a way that you can clearly tell that the events of the first movie and in this case, the first game like changed him. Yeah. Like, God of War 2018 Kratos is very much the same character as God of War Kratos, and I think that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, for sure. Is, like, just seeing how much something could change with age, and 
the kind of regret for his past that Kratos has in these games. It's just, it's really interesting to see a game tackle that kind of idea. And I mean, I guess I'm not necessarily saying that God of War is the first game to kind of tackle that, but it is the first game with this level of like recognizability. Now, Jackson, I know you just kind of basically said you didn't play any of the previous games. Jason, what were some of your experiences prior to the 2018 game? I mean, I think I talked about this a little bit uh, when we did our game of the year last year or something like that. Last time we talked about God of War 2018. So like two months ago. Was it really that recently? Yes. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about then. I had played God of War 1 and 2 when they were kind of re-released and packaged together for the PlayStation 3 collection. I think that was I think I played it around the same time that God of War Ascension came out uh, and I did not like them. I hated them. <laughs> I I didn't play them. I stopped playing the first one after like an hour and a half and then I Played a little bit of the second one because I figured, you know, sequels are generally better. Kingdom Hearts 2 is much better than Kingdom Hearts 1. Transformers 2 is better than Transformers 1. You know, um, we're not talking about Bay <laughs> films here, are we? Not again. Please, no. Because <laughs> I can get into some Michael Bay films discussion. <laughs> and I don't want to. But anyway, like, it was something that I tried to give a chance just because I knew people that liked them. I'd heard that they were really good. And at the time, several years ago, I would say they were they were still looked on pretty favorably. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But it, like I said, never really got into them. And then I think in 2020 was when I sat down and finally decided to give God of War 2018 a shot. And before I did that, I knew a fair amount of stuff about Kratos, but I wanted to actually play the games a little bit and I tried giving one and two a chance again and still didn't like them but then I sat down and played God of War 3 the remaster for the PlayStation 4 and it just like clicked and I love God of War 3 I mean it's insane it's brutal it's bloody it's definitely the end of a trilogy and you can very much tell the whole time they were making it it was supposed to be the end of this character's story uh, and a little bit of a spoiler here for, I believe, a game that is 15 years old, but uh, he dies at the end. <laughs> he stabs himself with a sword and he dies. Kratos has died a bunch of times. What can you do? <laughs> so when I was sitting down to play God of War 2018, I was like, where do you go from there? <laughs> How does Kratos come back? Like, I had so many questions that I wanted answered. Uh, and the game didn't answer any of those questions. But instead, what I got was like a really emotional, like heartfelt tale about a father and son learning to understand each other, despite obviously not <laughs> having any kind of like real relationship at the beginning of the game. I mean, it's made pretty clear that like Kratos wasn't around while Atreus was growing up. He basically, it kind of seemed like he would just stumble in randomly. And then he would disappear into the forest for months on end. <laughs> I was always a big fan of the God of War games, which I didn't play the first two until they were out for a while. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp as Jason where like, I think three is where I was really, really into the series. Like, I think that that game was what sort of retroactively gave me enough interest to go back and finish the previous ones. 
I mean, I was obviously very excited when I saw the series was going to continue, but I did not have a super high hopes with like the change in tone and setting and stuff. But I mean, I, I couldn't say enough positive things about God of War 2018 and what it did for the series and for the character. And, you know, I think that it showed that a game can still have a past and even be in conversation with that past, but grow and develop as the world grows and develops. And I think it just, it did some incredibly cool things narratively. And that's on top of also just being an incredibly cool game mechanically as well. Like I would still say it's probably like the second best combat I've ever seen in a video game. It's just like, there's just so much to love about the first game. Yeah, it's always a difficult conversation because, like, I don't necessarily want to say that God of War 2018 is so different from God of War 3 solely because, like, the world has changed. Like, we're just not into that kind of thing anymore. Because I think what God of War 1 does, and we'll get into it a little bit, but, like, God of War Ragnarok does it really well. Is it still has those moments of, like gratuitous violence and gore but it saves those moments to solely be for building characters or tearing them down like there isn't gratuitous violence the way that there is in three that's just because someone got in kratos's way it's there because something is happening (laughs) with with kratos with atreus with the god that gets killed or does the killing. Like, it's just really impressive how they've managed to keep the essence of what the God of War series was, but use it in service of telling a story about characters that grow and change and make mistakes. And I I can't say enough good things about God of War. <laughs> now, of course, when you have a game that is so just incredibly successful and impactful... Everybody is waiting and waiting and waiting for the sequel to see where it goes from there. And I was anxious, to say the least. Like, I I liked so much of the first game that I was just having a hard time picturing a sequel living up to that at all. And not to to give you all the good stuff up front, but it, it lives up to that, <laughs> uh, at least for me. I think part of what made imagining a new God of War sequel so difficult was the whole time I'm just thinking, how do they continue this arc that Kratos and Atreus are already on? How does this relationship between these two characters build in a way that's, you know, satisfying and actually like seems realistic and interesting? But I think what Ragnarok does that's really interesting is that it doesn't just continue the arc they were already on. It's not like they're following the exact same trajectory in God of War Ragnarok that they were already following at the end of God of War. Like, clearly, time has passed. Things have changed between them. And God of War Ragnarok is kind of about an entirely different arc. For sure. For sure. Kratos is able to open up to his son, even at the very beginning of God of War Ragnarok, in a way that he definitely would not have been able to at the end of God of War 2018. (laughs) Yeah. You see intimate and important moments between these two, literally in the opening scenes. 
right away that everything that was building in God of War kept building after the game ended, which is really cool. I think that one of the one of the most common problems that you see in video games, uh, even even like earlier this year with the Horizon games, I loved Horizon Zero Dawn. So much of it was Aloy learning to open up and trust people, and then pretty much right off the bat in Forbidden West, she's already back to being this like aloof and on her own hero that doesn't need other people. Like it's so common in these big action stories that you see a protagonist that undoes so much of their progression so that they can have that progression again later where this game makes no sacrifices in that regard. Yeah, this game doesn't just reset their relationship in any way. The issues that happen, because you know that they're going to happen, between Kratos and Atreus in this game are new. Like, they've still, they've undergone their arc of, like, learning to understand each other as father and son for the most part. They're still in it, but... The problems that arise between Kratos and Atreus in this game aren't just Kratos refuses to open up to his son. They're more based around, like, Kratos is raising a teenager (laughs) who is also, uh, you know, a god. Now, Jackson, you said that, you know, when we did our favorite games of all time episode, you said that 2018 was one of your, like, top three so just sort of early on temperature check here before we get into the specifics. How are you feeling about Ragnarok? Let me put it this way. Uh, between when this game came out and the recording of this podcast, I not only have beat the game, but I have obtained the Platinum Trophy and 100%ed the game. I do not know... Okay, I know the last time I've got a Platinum Trophy for a game. I do not know the last time I have... 100 percent at a game like done literally everything there is to do clearly i love this game it is it is the most i've played a game in such a small amount of time in years <laughs> by the time i had finished the story platinum trophy and 100 it, i had almost 50 hours in this and i still wanted to play more <laughs> for sure that was that's one of the best things i can say about a game is that it left me wanting more, and this is absolutely a game that did that. Like, I I felt like I had gotten everything I was going to get out of the game in terms of did all the missions, did all the side missions, got all the important collectibles, got all the powers, all that stuff, and I was still like, even, even after doing, you know, spending the last several hours doing the tedious stuff, like hunting down specific treasure chests or looking for Odin's ravens, like, the very like collectathon type stuff a game even after doing that i was just like i want more <laughs> something i've been thinking about which full disclosure i have not beaten god of war ragnarok i'm like i'm guessing 85 to 90 percent of the way through <laughs> based on discussions with them but the thing that i'm expecting when i finish it is just i'm gonna be a little upset that I'm going to have to wait four more years to get any kind of sequel to this. <laughs> if not more. Yeah, I'm saying four more years minimum. I feel like we were all kind of hesitant about the story. Like, we didn't know if they could pull off something like God of War 2018 again. And 
I think they did, but I don't think it is necessarily better or worse. It just feels like a continuation of 2018. Like they feel like they feel like one thing. Like I feel like now that this one is out, you can't really talk about one without the other. At least with the story itself. I think I know a good way to summarize what you're saying. I am never going to just play God of War 2018 again. Like, if I ever replay that game, I am replaying both of these back-to-back. Because this is an extension of the previous game. This is more than probably any other game I can think of right off the top of my head. This is an extension of its predecessor, not just a sequel. It's it's a sequel that just builds upon what is already there. But I don't think that's really all it is. I, I definitely think that it does a lot of things that you wouldn't really expect from the end of the last game. Um, you know, cause when you say like, it feels like a, just a continuation of God of War 18, it kind of feels like, it feels like this would be a replacement of God of War 18 in some way. And I definitely don't think that this game and the story told in this game replaces the, that story, you know, I, I don't know if I'm really getting across my idea properly, but like, right. Like. Like, what 2018 did was still important in its own right and stands on its own feet. It's just that the story that is told between these two games is made even better by extending it between the two games. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think a lot of games try, a lot of specifically a lot of sequels, try so hard to be their own thing. And in one sense, I guess that's true. But for the most part, this is... Like, I now sort of look at these as, like, two parts of one just really incredible game. Now, granted, I have not read the books that I'm about to mention, but knowing what I know, I feel like it is a good comparison. I feel like it is in the same way that the Lord of the Ring movies are, and the books. I don't know if the books are split into three separate ones, uh, <laughs> but the movies yes. are. I mean, I yeah. haven't read them. I don't think that you could just go into... Like, I, I don't think if you just read Fellowship of the Ring, you'd be like, yeah, that was a satisfying, complete story. I mean, I literally just reread these, or just read these for the first time, like, in the last couple of months. And I can say for sure that the three of them separately are not satisfying stories. So, Well, I mean in the sense that, like, there is one overarching story here. Sure. And specifically sure. with, like, Ragnarok, like, it is part of that story. 2018 can stand alone on its own. Fellowship of the Ring probably doesn't, but... I think comparing video games to books is just really difficult, though. For sure. For yeah. sure. They're very different just pieces of media. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like it's easier to compare video games and movies than it is movies or video games to books, just because there's an inherent need with literature. Like, if you're going to write a series... Like, there's very few books you can read a sequel without reading the first one. But with video games and movies, sometimes you can just watch a sequel without watching an original. And there's still, like, there's there's a directorial need to have it tell its own concise story. But that's, you know, we're getting pretty far off, off topic here. <laughs> uh, God of War Ragnarok is very, very good, though. So I think that you can pretty clearly divide the game in two parts here. You have your combat and your story. 
So I guess let's start with the combat because I think, like I said, it's one of my favorite combat systems in any video game. And I think the main reason for that is how much depth there is to it. Because there are just a finite number of moves and abilities, but the way that they work together can be, so much of it is up to you in a way that I don't even know how to really talk about. <laughs> I don't even know how to really talk about without getting too specific about like this move does this, which helps this and leads into this. And But, but let's just sort of compare and contrast here. How do you all think the combat compares to the first game? I feel like the onboarding process is definitely better in this one. Just from the fact that you start with two weapons instead of just having the axe for half of the game. Like, being able to just start immediately from the beginning of the game and tear people apart with both the axe and the Blades of Chaos is, one, really cathartic, and two, it kind of lets you find out how you want to use these weapons from the very beginning. <laughs> Because I, I feel like when once you get the Blades of Chaos in God of War, I mean, there is a decently lengthy section where you basically have to just use the Blades of Chaos for a while. But I, I kind of feel like you start off balance, you know, because the weapon that you've been using for at this point, you know, probably 10 to 12 hours, something around there, is just suddenly unusable and you have to use something completely different that... Feels somewhat familiar if you've played the old God of War games, but the new camera angles, stuff like that makes it an entirely different experience. This game, I feel like just having the options and really letting you kind of decide, like, what's my playstyle going to be? How can I use these weapons in different situations? And, like, how do they pair up together? Just makes it much more satisfying later on once you're able to just kind of switch from weapon to weapon on the fly based on the situation. I think another big thing is that in 2018, you already have the axe for like 10 hours by the time that you get the Blade to Chaos. So you've got most of the skills for the axe and you've got a pretty good feel for how it functions. And then you get the Blade to Chaos and you've got a, you know do the same thing, but you've only got like five hours left to complete the main story. And also they don't really function together much. They are based, they are very separate because you can't really add anything in where they function together because you're not getting them till so late in the game that it wouldn't really matter that much. Dang, it would have been really cool if they had added something where you could like switch mid combo, kind of like what Devil yeah. May Cry does. <laughs> Where, like, you can just switch weapons on the fly, basically mid-attack, and just completely change up what you're doing. I really wish there was something like, Kratos throws the Blades of Chaos out, and then grabs the axe off of his back. Yeah. <laughs> or vice versa. Like, I, that would be really neat. I think that would add, like, a whole layer of depth to the combat that it's kind of lacking at the moment. In Ragnarok, you have both of them from the start. And not only are you already familiar with these weapons, because the basic combos are pretty much the same with a few extra stuff added in there, but you have similar abilities and new abilities to unlock. So you already have a good feel of these. And then there's new stuff to learn. They also just function better together now. Like for instance, there are now, there are now skills you can unlock where when an enemy is frozen, the Blades of Chaos do more damage to them. Or if they are burned, the axe does more damage to them. Which isn't much, but it's still 
something. There's more of a reason to switch around a lot. I think that might have been the case in the last game. Just when an enemy has an elemental effect, the other element does more damage. I don't know for sure if that was there or not. <laughs> Can't remember. Well, guess I gotta go play God of War 2018 now. I think for me, I can kind of summarize it as... I don't think that the combat at the beginning of this game clicks quite as well as the combat of 2018. But I think by the end, when you have your weapons fully upgraded and you have some new skills, you have a lot more that you can do. I think it actually expands upon what was great about 2018 in a very, very cool way. I think that there are way more options for how you build your character. There's a much bigger emphasis on the things that the weapons do differently. There is just, there's a lot here. And I don't think the game does as much about forcing you to do it a certain way. Because I think in the first game, as cool as the combat felt, there were a lot of situations where, like what Jason alluded to, it straight up tells you this enemy is resistant to axe attacks, so you got to use the blades. That kind of thing still happens some but there are never enemies where it's like mandatory to use a certain weapon. And there's a lot of situations where you can definitely take large groups down in a lot of different ways, which I really, really appreciate. One thing I want to say with you mentioning how it took a while for it to click with you. I don't think that's for the reason that it is for most games. Like I feel with for most games, it is because you are introduced to a new combat system and you have to, you know, learn the combat system. Like in the Horizon uh, games, not the, the driving ones. <laughs> you have to, you know, learn how your bow functions. You have to learn that the enemies have weak points that, you know, not only will do more damage, but will remove a certain component that then they can't attack you with that or that they uh, that you can use against them. And... In 2018, you definitely it definitely has that sort of click to it, where you have to learn the combat system. You have to learn how the axe feels and functions. While in this, I don't think it's that you have to learn how they function. I think it's that you have to learn there isn't that click. Because even in sequels, again, I'm going to use Horizon Forbidden West as an example. It feels like you have to learn the original combat system again. It feels like you're learning the exact same things again. While in this game it feels like they expect you to already know how the Blades of Chaos and Leviathan Axe feel and function. I think the beginning of Ragnarok, the enemies just have a lot more wind-up to their attack, and it makes the rhythm feel weird. I don't really think it's that deep, if I'm honest. I mean, like, you have a lot more options, but I, I think that, like, the sole reason that the combat at the beginning of Ragnarok feels weird is just enemies have way too much wind-up. You don't have as much knockback on your attacks as you did in the first game, in the first game, it was a lot easier to interrupt other enemies' attacks and just go into a combo from like regular attacks and stuff. This game, you don't have that, which isn't a bad thing. It's just when you're expecting it to feel exactly like the previous one and something like that is just a little bit different. It's that much more jarring. But by the end of this game, like I felt like I had gotten so much more powerful. You know, being able to throw off runic attacks left and right, and you're building up tons of elemental damage and you're inflicting status effects and you have crazy you know powers for your weapons as well as your companions have crazy bow powers and like you can just do so much over such a short period of time that you can just absolutely demolish groups of enemies if you do it right and that is such a cool 
progression getting to that point. I, I think this game also has somehow an even bigger reliance on parrying attacks. Yeah. Playing this game on hard, you have to parry about as often as you parry in God of War 2018 on very hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, One of the biggest changes to the combat is this time around you have multiple shields you can choose from. So right off the bat, you're given a choice of two, a parry shield or like a heavy armor shield. So the parry shield is not going to be able to block many attacks. But if you do parry successfully, you're going to open them up to a, you know, potentially several attacks in a row. Whereas the full armor one, parrying is not as useful, but there are more attacks that it can just 100% block. Oh, does that shield like, I never used it. I still haven't even crafted it. Does it? Does it just fully block, like, the yellow attacks? Yeah, basically, yes. Um, I didn't use it very much. I just I tried it out for a while just to see. And even though I think it made the game easier, I don't think that it was as fun as using the parry shield. But it's actually more than just those two. Like, as you progress, you'll get shields that are somewhere in between the two, or you get some that have some, you know, kind of wild abilities. Like, for example, one doesn't have as good of blocking capabilities in general, but you can straight up turn it into a weapon and it ha- like it has spikes on the front and you can just charge at people with it. It's it's wild. There are some weird ones. I think one of them is like the Shatterstar shield and it can like absorb elemental attacks. Or no, no, it has, uh, instead of like the normal shield burst attack or shield break, it has like, Kratos punches the shield that sends out like a wave of energy that causes elemental explosion on enemies that have an elemental effect on them. That one was kind of interesting to use for a bit. I just feel like this game knew what it did well and stuck to its guns, but also sprinkled in some ways to, to shake things up as much or as little as you want to. And I think that's just such a smart way to handle this. Now, You know, I am not surprised in the slightest that the combat was still excellent. I am definitely surprised that the story impressed me as much as it did. Because I went in thinking, like, there is no way that this is going to live up to what 2018 did narratively. And I think it did, it does something very, very smart that lets it both sidestep the need to be as, like, hard hitting and emotional as the first game but also gives itself a lot of room to explore the world and the characters. And that was, at least the way I see it, shifting from a game that's predominantly about the characters to a game that's predominantly about the story. And what I mean by that is the progression that takes place in God of War 1 isn't necessarily a progression in terms of they get to from point A to point B and achieve their goals. It's a progression of they grow as characters. They learn to understand each other. Their motivations become more aligned. Their goals change from time to time too. Right. In the first one. Because at the beginning of the game, like Kratos just thinks that they need to get to the top of uh, a mountain down the road. (laughs) Yeah. He thinks that's it. That's as far as it goes. And then he and, gets to the top of that mountain and it's like, no, actually, you got to go to a locked off realm where the actual tallest mountain is. <laughs> this mountain is nothing compared to that mountain. 
But, like, at the same time, you could, if you were being very basic about it, like, you could narrow down God of War 2018 story to a man and his son climb a couple of mountains. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, this game goes for a story that is so much bigger. This is a game about stopping and or preparing for a war. And not just any war, a war for all of humanity, basically. Gods from across multiple realms, all these different species. Like, there is a war coming. I think there is, like, a big overarching story focusing on that. But I I don't think the game really fails its characters in any way. I I feel like there is a really interesting character-based story being told here as well. I'm going to get into conceptual spoilers a little bit here to talk about the story. Uh, but I, I don't want to like spoil any major events or anything. A decent portion of this game, Kratos and Atreus are separated. Like they're not traveling together as they did in the first game the whole time. And I think a really big focus on this game for those characters is who they are without each other around and how they kind of balance each other out and bring out the best in each other. On top of that, there's this whole story about, like Jordan said, like preparing for a war and building an army. But then that's even deeper because like a big focus on it is, is war right? Is it the right thing to do to rush into a war? And then later as you get into the story and characters start making interesting, they have to start making harder choices because... They're on the brink of war, and it's, do we want to start this war just to protect ourselves and the things we love, or is it better (laughs) to avoid war and run from your destiny, I guess? I I really like that there's just a lot of facets to, like, everything that happens in the game. There's there's nothing that just happens to tell... There's nothing in this game that really happens just to tell a story for the characters or for the building war that's going to take place. It feels like everything kind of serves both. I I really enjoy that about the game. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Like, Like, I do feel like there was sort of a shift from being predominantly about the characters to predominantly about the story, but that doesn't mean anything was sacrificed. And I think that in a lot of ways the story and the characters work even better together than they did in the first game because it felt like a lot of what was happening in 2018 was sort of in spite of Kratos and Atreus's goals, where in this game, they are much more influenced by their goals. Jackson, I'm going to give you a hard question. You just have to answer it. Go with your gut here. Which one has a better story, 2018 or Ragnarok? It is hard to go with my gut here considering I just played one of them and the other one I've not played for round over a year. Uh, (laughs) So there is recency bias, but also part of that's in our name. I am going to have to kind of go with Ragnarok here. I think it's because I think it's because the basic story of 2018 is simply they need to get to the top of the mountain to spread phase ashes. And that on its own is not much. It is the relationship between kratos and atreus and kratos accepting his past that is what makes the game story what it is and this and ragnarok both focuses on that 
and expands it a lot more while also having a bigger story going on at the same time. It's just a lot bigger. <laughs> For sure. I think that the increase in scale is definitely one of the most obvious differences between these two games. That's the word I was looking for, scale. <laughs> yeah. And I think that one of the things that naturally came with this shift to more of the focus on the extended story is the fact that there is a lot more to learn about how this world works and who the gods are and how they function. I mean, God of War 2018 basically had, what, seven named characters other than some bosses, but Ragnarok, you meet 10 characters in the course of one cutscene. <laughs> like, that was the one complaint I had with God of War 2018. Like, literally, the only complaint I can think of I had with that game was there was not enough Norse mythology. The only, the only two big gods that you saw a lot of were... Freya and Baldur in that. Like Magni and Modi were still in that, but no one no one cares about them. I think that but, Magni and Modi are I, I think that you could convince people those were original characters and they would just believe you. <laughs> Whereas like yeah. obviously you can't do that with Freya or Baldur. Yeah. But twenty eighteen didn't have as much focus on Norse mythology. Or specifically how a character from an outside land was affecting the known mythology of that. Like, I think that's one of the things that made going into Ragnarok so interesting, is knowing, like, you know, now that there is this foreign character here, how is this tale that we already know from a mythology, how is it going to play out now that there is Kratos here? <laughs> 2018, we don't really see much of that, how Kratos being here affects the known mythology. I can kind of agree that it doesn't really feel like you're interacting with the mythology the same way in God of War as like God of War 3. The other ones. <laughs> like playing God of War 3 and just like going and meeting like 10 gods, I think, through the course of that game. Most Maybe more. <laughs> and killing a whole bunch of them. I, I do think that that kind of feels more like interacting with the mythology. I think that kind of what's interesting about God of War 2018 is that it feels like a lot of the mythologies already happened. And I think that's intentional <laughs> because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at all of the things that have happened in the world, if you listen to Mimir's stories, you listen to the way characters interact with each other, the only prophecy left is Ragnarok. Norse mythology's already happened. You're just in yeah. the world. You're in the aftermath, essentially. <laughs> Whereas Ragnarok is more directly kind of involved with like, what is prophecy and how are we tied to it and getting to interact with all the different portions because in some way Kratos and Atreus are related to just about everything that happens in Ragnarok. And I do think it's kind of interesting to see it get set up. Um, like I said, I haven't beaten the game yet, so I haven't really seen the payoff, but it, it's definitely an interesting premise to kind of see all the puzzle pieces get put into place. This game definitely has a, a really good emphasis on that. There is a lot of stuff that is set up, even in the slightest ways, that you finally get to see come to a head at the end of this game, and it's so cool. I think that the last couple of hours are really just some of the best in the gaming world about finally letting you see what it was all for. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I haven't finished the game, so... Maybe my opinion will be different in a few days. I'll tweet about it or something. <laughs> but I personally kind of pr 
prefer those more character-driven stories. So, so far, I mean, I would have to say that there are a lot more... I, like, there's a lot more weight in the story of God of War 2018 for me. Uh, and maybe part of that is just, like, it's a more realistic story. I'm never going to interact with uh, the end of the world or killing gods like you do in Ragnarok. But everybody has relationships with their family <laughs> that are strained or, you know, interesting. And I, I also feel like God of War 2018 really kind of digs into who Kratos is a, as a character in a way that Ragnarok doesn't really feel like it does. Like, Ragnarok doesn't have... When I think of God of War 2018, the one of the singular moments that really stands out to me is when Kratos goes back to get the Blades of Chaos. I think that might be one of the most, like, powerful moments in video games that I've ever seen. Just because, like, his conversation with Athena, where she tells him that he's a monster, and he says... I know, but I'm your your monster no longer. Like that line gives me chills. Like I have chills right now. <laughs> and at this point in Ragnarok, I I don't know if I've really felt any moments that were that touching to me. I think one's coming. Oh, yeah, okay. there are. I I think that there is a moment in like literally the last seconds of this game. Yes. There is a moment that brings everything not just in this game the entire series history the entire series to yeah. just such like an incredible moment but it is i mean literally in the last seconds though because I, I have the same thought as you playing through the game i was like there hasn't been a moment in this that has made me feel the same way that any of the moments in 2018 has had which originally was going to affect my review of the game i honestly was going to say the story wasn't as good because of that but the last, like, five minutes of this game, I think, was more touching than, like, any of those moments from the first game. The last five minutes of this game finally lets you feel like that WandaVision tweet. <laughs> you hear that? That's the sound of every screenwriter in the world whispering in irreverent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. But the last... The last major scene of this game is one of the best I've ever seen in a video game. It bring it like Jordan said, it brings everything about the entire God of War series yeah. almost to a close. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's the same way you described it, like literal chills. Like it is Yeah. It is so so cool and so hard not to talk about in this context. Like that's another that's another real like huge bummer is there is a very, very, very significant change in this game compared to the previous one that I, I don't even want to talk about because it's a huge spoiler. But, like, when when you realize what is going on, it's so cool. But I don't, I don't want to touch on it, though, because I think that the developers went through... Not even the developers. The studio as a whole went through some really painstaking stuff to make sure that it wasn't spoiled now this is like a just a major part of the game that just wasn't talked about before release like from from like several hours in it's just like a huge recurring part of the game that was just not even alluded to in like the marketing and stuff i don't know why it took me so long to realize what you were talking about and no it's not because jason just sent me a discord message saying what it was this game has so much to offer 
And I, I don't know that I can do it justice without getting into some of those spoilers. Like, maybe it's something we even need to do another episode on down the road or something. That would be a perfect TB mini. Yeah, for we sure. We haven't done one of those in forever. And yeah. I have I downloaded new video editing software. <laughs> if you played the first game and you liked it even a little bit, like, absolutely play this game. I don't think that... I don't think that I've played a game that had as powerful of moments emotionally for me in years i mean definitely like the literally the only game i can even think of that has had similar moments was this game's like the game that came before this one <laughs> like based on what you're saying it does sound like the first game is probably paced a little bit better <laughs> yeah i think that that is a fair way to 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 explain it like this game is very segmented into a linear story mission where a bunch of stuff's going to go down then a hard stop and then you go and do a bunch of side stuff or ignore a bunch of side stuff if you want to do it. And then you go into another linear part where there's going to be a lot of sto- like heavy story stuff. It does have sort of a stop and start flow to it that I don't think serves the narrative super well. Especially if you are going out of your way to do all that side content. I still think yeah. it works overall because it is always a choice. But it definitely... The narrative feels a little bit more disjointed than the first game, where I think the first game, one of its biggest strengths was it never felt like, like it didn't feel like you were finishing a level and starting a new one. It felt like it was one continuously moving story where this game kind of has much more set. This is one mission. This is another mission. This is another mission type of structure. The, The first game definitely felt like literally everything you did was building towards the end of the game. This game, to me so far, it does feel like sometimes you just do things that don't necessarily matter that much. Right. Like, they wanted each sort of realm to have its own, like, goal, but not all those goals are created equally. Some of them don't necessarily serve the story as much as others. I do really like a lot of the side quests. At least uh, some of the ones I've done are mostly based around... Ways that Mimir has screwed people over and cleaning it up way too late. (laughs) Cleaning it up way after the damage has been done. I think almost all the side quests in this are a lot more important than the ones in 2018. That is one of the few places where I think I can say that something about this game is definitely better. I feel like each side quest... Because in the first game, there's a few side quests where it's like, like, there is a lesson to be learned from it. Like, there's a few in the Lake of Nine in 2018 where you'll find a spirit that wants something and Atreus thinks that you guys should do it and Kratos is like, boy. Maybe that's part of it, too. It's just that, like, in God of War 1, like, you're not on a timetable in any way. But in God of War yeah. Ragnarok, the whole game, like, you you know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the same way that I felt about doing side quests in Mass Effect 2. Like, I was like... There's some pretty big stuff that uh, needs to happen right now. Yeah. But anyways, I'm going to go, like, find this soup. In God of War 2018, when you're, like, traipsing around the river just helping random ghosts, it's like, well, I mean, all this is really doing is more time for them to grow closer as, you know, father and son. And it's the only real downside is that... um, I guess they're, you know, Atreus' mother's ashes will get spread like a little bit later it's not like it matters in this game there's still the uh just knowing hey 
Ragnarok's about to be here. We should like not be doing this. But yeah, and it also it takes a long time for you to really start killing interesting characters in this one. And I know that, like we mentioned mm-hmm. with 2018, you don't really do that at all until the very end, but in this game I do have to say like the variety in enemies is so much better. There are so many different enemy types in this one. I felt like in 2018 you were mostly just fighting Draugr and um uh what were the frozen boys called? Hellwalkers. Yeah, Hellwalkers and fighting a bunch of them. They are still in this. They are in this a lot less, and yeah. there are multiple new enemy types to fight. I think that's another thing that makes combat a bit better. God of War Ragnarok, like, and maybe I'm just spoiled by God of War 3 on some level, but <laughs> at the point I'm at, and I mean, y'all know it's coming, but I guess this is a minor spoiler. I have killed one god. <laughs> and Not as much god killing this time around as in the original. I expected a lot more. <laughs> yeah. I kind I was, of expected it to be similar to God of War 3, where you're just killing them left and right. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah. that is, like, a big part of Kratos' arc between this game and the previous game, is, like, That's Kratos, not who he is anymore. Yeah, he's not a god killer these days. Or at least he doesn't want to be. Which, it definitely talks about, that is definitely a big focus on Kratos' arc in this. Yeah, like I said, Kratos' arc is about the man he is without Atreus. I don't want to get too much into that because I think a lot of it leads to spoiler territory. Yeah. I, no, I mean, I want to talk about it a little bit. I like that Kratos' story in this game, at least large portions of it, and it's not even because he's out there killing gods or anything. It's just he's concerned about disappointing Atreus and becoming the man that he used to be because he obviously mm-hmm. understands that like there is something, even if he was justified at the time, being justified doesn't make what you're doing right. And I I think that that's like a big part of his arc between the games is growing to understand that and trying to make up for it in any way he can. To touch back on side quests, though, probably one of my favorite things about this game in contrast to 2018 is in 2018, you've got, you know, Mimir's head strapped to your belt the whole time. And for the most part, there's not really much in that game about him. Like, he's there, he's talking to you constantly, and he always has something to say. The side quest in this game, like Jason said, focused a lot on the bad stuff that Amir did to everyone when he was still, like, working with Odin. And I really like how they fleshed out Mimir's character in this. I feel like Mimir is more involved with, like, talking with other characters in this one than the first game. Like, every time you encounter a new character... In God of War 2018, sometimes they would talk like Mimir wasn't there, at least a little yeah. bit. In this one, like most of the time, people have no idea who Kratos is, but they're like, oh, Mimir. <laughs> they're either I like, I love reason- that guy, or I really hate that guy. Usually the second one. The other characters in this game are also 10 times more fleshed out. One thing I'll say is in 2018, Brock and Sindri were very much just side characters. They didn't do much you'd see them maybe once or twice in the story but for the most part you were just interacting with them for the side quest and going to get your gear upgraded they are much bigger characters in this game and it is very much for the better because the performances of both voice actors voicing them are phenomenal which is not something i thought i'd say about characters that were previously side characters that did barely anything (laughs) actually we need to we need to talk about something really important that hasn't really come up too much so far, 
with the performances. I'm not even going to say might be. This is the best performed game I have ever played. Oh, yeah. It is absolutely incredible how good the acting in this game is. It And it's the entire cast. I mean, like, Kratos and Atreus are obviously super well-established. Like, they did phenomenal in the first game, and that continues. But some of the side characters in this game are... I mean, Richard mm-hmm. Schiff as Odin probably is the best video game performance I have ever seen. I wouldn't say it's the best I've seen. I would say it is the best villain I've seen, at least. He is so menacing, and everything about his mannerisms, the way he talks, every word he says is so in tune with what this character should be. And I think that there are others that give absolutely phenomenal performances, too. Like, the first ones that come to mind are Ryan Hurst as Thor and uh, Danielle Basotti as Freya. The first one that comes to mind is Alistair Duncan as Mimir. (laughs) Mimir steals the show in both games. He's so good. Every performance of every member of the main cast and most side characters, I think, is just phenomenal. When I played 2018, I I really loved Christopher Judge's performance as Kratos. And it was definitely up there as one of my favorites. But at the time, I still had to hand that over to uh, Troy Baker as Joel in The Last of Us. After playing Ragnarok, there is such a huge margin between Christopher Judge as Kratos being at the top and everything else below it. I still think Mimir is my favorite. This game, the acting is incredible. Top notch. Like... <laughs> If they want that Amazon show of this to work, they better get the same actors. Before this game, I kind of saw a trajectory where this was the end of God of War as we know it. Like not to say there wouldn't be something else that existed in this world in the future, but I could see a very clear way that this was going to just be the end. And I don't think it's going to be. And I'm really, really glad it's not. I, I think that this is very clearly the end of an arc, though. So where do you all want to see this go now that we're kind of through Norse mythology part of it? I don't know if there's a good way to get into that without spoilers for the end of the game. I think there is. I mean, like, what kind of world would you like to see them explore next? I mean, well, in that case... Unless they, like, distinctly say at the very end of the game, they're like, all right, Egypt, <laughs> last train to Egypt, get on. Yeah, there isn't really any, there, there isn't any hints of, like, what's happening after this. But if we're just saying, like, where we think they should go literally after this, I think Egypt is the best bet, just because that is what's been alluded to the most throughout both games. Also a pretty big, relatively well-known pantheon of gods there. Right. Like, I think that there are definitely other directions they could go, but I just don't think that there is an innate knowledge about other groups of gods like there would be with Egypt. And even then, I still think that the Greek and Norse gods we've already seen already have a significantly larger cultural impact than other gods, you know, pantheons do. But I still think... Just two of them are the MCU. <laughs> I still think, like, Egypt is the next answer if you're just going for, like, in terms of how well the public understands them. Yeah, I think Egypt would make sense. I'd be interested to see something with, like, Japanese mythology. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to follow Kratos or Atreus either, you know? Like, right, right. 
they could try to take the series anywhere with new characters. Kind of interested to see. There's quite a few mentions, especially with Mimir, to like English mythology. I mean, Mimir talks about being from Albion. Yeah. So I think it'd be kind of interesting to like hang out with Merlin and King Arthur. <laughs> uh, I don't think, I think it would be kind of interesting if Kratos was fighting against Merlin and King Arthur. I want to kill Merlin. I think that would be really cool. <laughs> if you could use like his staff as a weapon and have like magic based attacks, that'd be cool. I saw a post earlier on Reddit talking about uh, if Sora and Kratos met, would they be friends? <laughs> no. And then I was thinking about Kratos going to the Disney Hercules world. <laughs> it would not be a pretty sight. Uh, maybe he'd be okay with it. Maybe he'd be happy to see a Zeus that is like a decent dad. Yeah. Man, this live this live action Hercules is going to be something. And he'd, he'd apologize to Hercules. He'd be like, sorry, I, I killed your uh, counterpart. <laughs> I okay I now okay that uh that has got me to know exactly where the next game should go. Okay, from a random line in this game when traveling the overworld, uh we know that PlayStation All-Star Battle, whatever it was called, is canon. And we also know that Parappa the Rapper is history's greatest musician. <laughs> and I think the next arc should be about Kratos going to the Parappa the Rapper world. He's got a train with Master Onion, <laughs> or whatever his name is. I think the Parappa the Rappa is more difficult than God of War. Okay, so to kind of wrap things up, would you recommend God of War Ragnarok? Yes. <laughs> eh, nah, I'm a not sure. A resounding yes, absolutely. I would recommend God of War Ragnarok to anyone that played the first game and also just appreciates good storytelling. The gameplay is really good, too, but, like... It's the story we're here for. Yeah, I mean, I'm personally and all about story and games over gameplay, so maybe I'm a bad example, but... If you haven't played God of War 2018, what I recommend is you play God of War 2018, you absolute fool. It's on PC at this point. And if you can only play it on PC and don't own a PlayStation 5 or 4, I guess wait till it comes to PC. Which probably won't take that long. The timeline from when... A PlayStation original comes out to when it comes on PC is getting shorter and shorter. Yeah. I would expect maybe late 2023 or like summer 2024. It's definitely coming though. So like if you absolutely have to wait, it won't be that long. Well, well, this has already been a lot of God of War Ragnarok talk. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what is something else you've been into? I'm going to talk about what is now one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars media, Andor. This show is so good. Your favorite pieces of Star Wars media and or what? Get it? Got him! <laughs> wow. So anyways, this is my last day on the podcast. <laughs> but... When they announced Andor back in like 2018 or 2019, along the other list of Star Wars stuff, it was definitely the least interested I was in any of it. Like when you've got it up there with stuff focusing on Mandalorians, uh, which was one of my favorite like groups in all of Star Wars and Ahsoka and uh, something finally going to a different time period of Star Wars. This was like one of the things I was least interested in. I was like, 
So a show about a character that was that that died in a movie and was in nothing else and in a time period we've already seen before. I didn't have like any expectations for this. But yeah, it is now easily one of I think okay. It is not my favorite Star Wars show. That is still Mandalorian. It is definitely the best Star Wars show, which isn't saying that much because the only other Star Wars shows are uh, Book of Boba Fett, which was bad, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, which was all right. <laughs> but Mandalorian is not like other Star Wars. There's It can go episodes without having a fight scene. It is more just about exploring the characters and the world of Star Wars, specifically the, like, effects the empire is having on everyone <laughs> it not only f- focuses on what it has done to andor itself it focuses on oh it's kind of hard to judge there are like four or five other characters that are followed through this two of them being members of the empire and it's showing how working for the empire has affected their lives and made it worse for them but still seeing them want to please the empire as well as they can and then seeing for other characters how being in this rebellion since the empire started has affected them and then specifically for andor himself how he's tried to run from the empire for so long but now like after events that happen in the show the only thing he wants to do is fight the empire which leads to some pretty great moments that not only like i think really uh what's the word (laughs) um really makes the whole of like what they are fighting for in the original trilogy a little better but it also is it shows a lot of like what is going on in our society today too which star wars like has always been kind of about that like george lucas wrote the original trilogy as like (laughs) about how uh like america shouldn't have been involved in vietnam or something so it's always been a very like anti-war and anti uh fascist series but this show definitely reflects what is happening right now pretty well from my understanding everything i've seen about the show it kind of seems like it takes place in star wars but the main idea is how fascism and imperialism affect the people living under those regimes. Yes, that and is like very much what the different about. ways that people will be affected either because Andor is kind of established to have been from a like so, tribe on some planet before the empire yeah. took over. So a big part of what is going on is that Andor was part of a tribe on a planet Either the planet was named this, or the tribe was called it, uh, named this, uh, called Canari, I believe is what it was. Yeah. They stopped talking about it a good bit uh, in the second half of the season. Well, Canari ceased to exist when, you know, it was imperialized, essentially. Yeah. It was added to the Empire. Right, yeah, like, it becomes, that, the planet becomes a mining planet for the Empire, which pushes a lot of the tribes out. And Andor specifically gets picked up um, by a woman named Marva, who 
I don't think at that point is in the rebellion yet, but eventually is on the rebel side at least. I mean, you don't have to give like the the whole story. I, I was just trying to kind of explain it like top level. I I think that what I've heard is like the creator wanted to tell a story about you know British imperialism, mm-hmm. and at the root of the show, it's how are people from different walks of life and different parts of the world affected by fascism and imperialism. And I, I bring that, up Andor is... being like from a tribe, but then there are other people that grew up within the empire. How were they <laughs> yeah. affected like, by it? It focuses, it focuses on, a lot on one town that is under re- imperial regime. And it shows a lot of the character. It shows a lot of side characters there that have, very much experienced the hardships of living under the empire. I'm planning to dig into this one this coming week. And from everything I've read, it seems like this might be the first star Wars thing to ever have one of the most important parts of storytelling. That is nuance, (laughs) something (laughs) that star Wars movies and shows have just collectively ignored. (laughs) Yeah, I remember people talking like after the, I think it was like the fifth or sixth episode about like how how much sympathy and stuff like an emotion that you can feel towards someone that at the end of the day is a fascist. Yeah. And you can kind of like see and understand how they ended up there while still recognizing that like they're wrong. <laughs> Naturally, since this Star Wars show does have a lot of nuance that means a good bit of the star wars fan base absolutely hates it (laughs) which is really which really sucks to see because one it sucks to know uh, a lot of people that like this thing uh aren't great and then two this is one of the best star wars things ever this is this is one of my favorite pieces of star wars anything possibly i i'd say second favorite mandalorian still up there i love that show so much but this is the first Star Wars thing in a while that I've recommended to non-Star Wars enjoyers. <laughs> if you don't like Star Wars, go watch this anyways. I can get skipping out on, you know, all the the space magic and blasters and stuff. But go watch this, because this is, this is pretty good. I like nuance uh, being in Star Wars. I, I think it's nice. Um, because, like... I feel like the biggest thing that Star Wars fans do when they start talking about Star Wars is they just make up their own nuance. They're like, what if the freaking Jedi were bad? And it's like, okay, they were never saying that in the movies, but like, maybe. And then Ryan Johnson comes in with episode eight and he was like, what if the Jedi were bad? And everyone was like, no, we hate that. Shut up, Ryan. Well, there's also the much bigger problem with Star Wars today, which is sort of what I see is like, the enemy of nuance is uh, people complain about, you know, there was even complaints about Mando going soft in some of like the later episodes of the Mandalorian. And then everybody saw Luke Skywalker come in and kill some robots. And they were just like, this is objectively good. Like you can have no criticism of this scene. Cause he killed a lot of things very quickly with a lightsaber. That is what makes good star Wars. <laughs> like I didn't like that scene. I felt like it was way too, too slow. It was too much. It was building up way too much to something I saw, something people saw in, every, in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. To something people saw in every Star Wars show and movie. But yeah. that, that's my time for pulling the plug this week. Jason, what do you got? 
I'm just going to talk a little bit shorter um, about something that I think Jordan might have seen some of the older seasons of, but... There was probably like a four or five year period where I watched every episode of the show like the day it came. I mean, the, there wasn't streaming back then, so I was watching the show literally every week. The show we're talking about is Survivor, the hit CBS reality show. <laughs> so after the pandemic, they brought Survivor back. And I finally got Paramount Plus uh, just so I could watch Survivor, essentially. I've also watched a little bit of The Challenge USA, which is... Um, there was a show on MTV called The Challenge where it's basically just the elimination challenges from Survivor. Uh, but the idea with The Challenge USA is that they they brought people that were big in Survivor, The Amazing Race, uh, and Love Island for some reason. I don't really know why they were there. Did uh, they get anyone from the circle or too hot to handle? No, unfortunately not. The Challenge USA is all right. The people from Survivor, I do need, I want to point out, the people from Survivor did much better than most of the people from other uh, shows because, like, the challenges are a lot more similar to Survivor challenges. <laughs> it w- it would be, like, physical challenges that are very similar conceptually to what you do on Survivor, and if you are from The Amazing Race or Love Island, I don't think those shows have that kind of challenge at all. Um... So that was a weird decision. But either way, after Survivor came back from the hiatus during the pandemic, they shortened the seasons. Uh, They've started working to get much more diverse casts, which means, like, you see people from more walks of life, I guess is the easiest way to explain it. Like, it's not just all rich white people. (laughs) Yeah. And they kind of changed up the way the game works. Um, so instead of being 38 days or 39 days, 40 days, something in there, it's only, I think 28 days now. So it's much faster pace. Like someone's getting eliminated constantly. Every challenge has higher stakes, but they've also changed the show by making it to where, um, if you lose a challenge, uh, they take away your Flint as well as, you know, usually you have to send someone to either, redemption island or kick them off the show or whatever but another big thing they've done is for the most part they've gotten rid of the like immunity idols that you could just find around the camp and they've replaced them with uh beware idols i think is what they're called so essentially it'll be an immunity idol but there is some kind of task that's associated with it and some of them are crazy some of them are like you have to rely on people from both because they've been splitting into three camps more often as well, too. You have to rely on someone from both of the other camps to not only find the beware idol, but also they need to like say a special code phrase that's included with it at an immunity challenge. Uh, and until they do that, like you can't vote. So there are constantly people that either can't vote or sometimes they'll have people separate from the rest of their tribe and meet up with people from other tribes, and they'll be given some kind of challenge or mini task or just a decision to make. And sometimes they'll either gain like a one day immunity idol or they'll lose their vote, or sometimes they'll, they'll get crazier advantages, but it's really changed up how the game is played. And it's honestly quite a bit more interesting to watch sometimes. (laughs) So I don't know 
you know, Jordan, if you liked Survivor back in the day, maybe you should you should give those new seasons a, a bit of a chance. Yeah. There's currently a season airing that we've been watching, but they don't, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot to get back into. <laughs> yeah, so. there's a, there's like 40, they're on season like 42. So now when I watched Survivor, it was long enough ago that it was just Survivor there. They weren't doing like theme seasons or anything yet. Like it was still in its earliest phases. So I, I, I should dig in just to see like how much things have changed. <laughs> Cause I know like they do like subtle changes to rules and like flow of the game and stuff basically every season. So I bet it's like unrecognizable now. I guess I've just started watching a lot of TV that I would have made fun of myself like two years ago for watching (laughs) yeah i do a lot of things now that me from a couple years ago would make fun of me for but anyway jordan what have you been up to well i'm gonna talk about a mobile game so i guess if you're one of those people that's just super anti-mobile game i i get it uh i'm gonna talk about marvel snap a game i've been playing pretty much religiously for like two months now and you've probably seen some ads for it and you've probably made some fair assumptions about like mobile card games in general and that they're greedy and unreliable and they're kind of a mess. But I think the best thing that I can say about Marvel Snap is that it is probably the most generous free-to-play game I've ever played. Like There are definitely advantages to paying money, but this is a game that lets you pretty much experience everything cool in the game for free just by putting in the time so conceptually it has a lot of shared dna with you know a lot of other mobile card games like you can definitely see some similarities to like your hearthstones and things like that and it actually had some of the same folks that worked on hearthstone that made this which is clear in some ways but it's very cool because at its most basic level it's a very simple game you have three different battlefields that essentially are three lanes in the game and all you have to do is have the highest number in two of those three lanes to win. And every card has a power level and a cost. And you have so much energy you can spend each turn to get the best cards you can in two of the three lanes to try and win. And it's a very, very basic concept, but it has some very cool wrinkles that get thrown in because each of the three locations are going to have their own abilities which can make cards weaker or stronger or even throw in extra cards you weren't planning on or only allow certain cards to be played there, like things you can't anticipate. And then every single card is going to either have an ability or just be extra strong for not having an ability. And all of those abilities interact with each other and the different areas in very unique ways. And just the fact that you can do all that and like play the game and experience, you know, a, a pretty good multiplayer premise but also you're going to unlock all the cards for free just by playing. Like it's it's very, very cool. I, I really, really like this game way more than I ever anticipated. I wasn't even planning on giving it a shot because I think the last handful of Marvel mobile games have been like especially that greedy free to play that just sucks if you're not willing to fork up the money. But this one's really cool. I mean, cool cards with some really interesting art styles. They give you tons and tons of them with all sorts of unique abilities. It's a lot of looks at characters that haven't been very important in other Marvel media. So, like, just across the board, really dig this game. If you like card games even a little bit, I really think this is one you should check out. Well, 
I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, there are a couple of different ways you can do that. First, on Twitter at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media. Third, you can come watch a stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media. And fourth, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Any suggestions for the show, your reviews of recent release games, just anything you want to tell us, please do so. And we would love to, to you know, reach back out to you, to, to read your reviews on the show. Anything we can do to engage, we would love to do it. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.